I want us to consider a passage out of Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. So if you have a copy of scripture, I know you're going to find it helpful to have that open or to be reading along in the bulletin. And I want us to look at Ephesians 4 verses 4 through 16. And for the sake of context, we'll start in verse 1. The apostle is writing this church Um, and he has given them some of the great doctrines of the Christian faith in chapters one through three. He has set out the the marvels of the grace of God in Christ. And now as he comes to that point where he, he wants to apply those doctrinal truths to the life of the church, he does so by addressing the church on the whole, and, and by addressing the relationship between the minister of the gospel and the members of the church. And so I want us to look together here at Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. Let me pray for us, and then we'll read this together. Father in heaven, we thank you and praise you that you are a God who has spoken a clear word to us in the scriptures and have given us a clear sight of the living word, Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, we do pray that you would bless the ministry of your word, that as the good shepherd, you would cause us to hear your voice, that you would draw us with cords of love, that you would make us to feel and to see our need for you. We pray that you would be exalted as your word is proclaimed, and we pray, our God, that you would pour out a blessing on this church, that you would strengthen and establish the members of this church, that you would bless the ministry of their new pastor, among them as he ministers your word to them. And so, Lord, would you speak for your servants are listening. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, Paul now says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds or pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God endures forever. Well, one of the marked 
features of the Protestant Reformation is that it was a movement of God that was fueled by the extensive ministry of the Word of God. Um, I'm not sure if you know this or not, but John Calvin in Geneva before uh, 1549 and then after that was preaching six to almost ten times a week. The Reformation didn't just happen. It wasn't something that just occurred uh, spontaneously or by osmosis. It was, it was wrought by the diligent labors of men that God had placed his hand upon and who knew that through the pervasive ministry, the extensive ministry of the word of God, that the divine blessing would come upon the people of God. Now, you may know that Calvin's congregation there and the city of Geneva rejected him in 1538. They would, they would so disdain the ministry of John Calvin, they would name their dogs after him. They had driven him out of Geneva in 1538, and then they had begged him to come back in 1541. And in what is one of the most peculiar examples in church history, John Calvin comes back to a city and back to a people that did not want his ministry, that had rejected him, and he stood in the pulpit in September of 1541, and he picked up right where he left off in his exposition in 1538. It's a, it's a magnificent account of what it means to be a minister of the gospel and what it means for God to use a minister of the gospel and the commitment and the fruitfulness of the ministry of the word. What happened after Calvin came back to Geneva is that John Knox would visit there several times between uh, 1555 and 1559, and John Knox would sit under the preaching of Calvin, and he would sit under the preaching of Calvin on Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And such a great impact that ministry had on John Knox that when he, he lay on his deathbed, next to him on his bed was a uh, transcription of the sermons of Calvin on Ephesians. You see, the ministry of Calvin in Geneva would impact the world as those sitting under the ministry of God's word from Calvin were so moved and changed and motivated by it that the Reformation would spread throughout the world and other ministers would preach like Calvin was preaching. What's interesting, in those sermons on Ephesians, Calvin uh, references here in this passage that there are three things that are necessary for a church if it is going to remain faithful and if it is going to be fruitful. And those three things, Calvin says, is one, a church must have Christ. They must have Christ. Two, they must have the diversity of gifts that Christ gives the church. And three, they must understand the goal of those gifts as they are operative in the church. They must have Christ, they must have the gifts of Christ, and they must understand the goal of those gifts in the church. I want us to consider those three things as we look this morning very briefly here, especially from verse 7 to 16. The apostle has been talking about the unity of the body. He has been calling the members of the church to uh, maintain that unity that they already possess in the spirit to labor, to be gentle and humble with one another, to keep the unity of the body in the bond of peace. And then Paul does something very interesting. He transitions from that unity statement and that call to maintain that unity to saying this in verse 7, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. 
Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives. He gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. Now, Paul has done something very interesting. He has now moved the focus of the the members of this church off of the call for the church to maintain its unity, and he has put their focus on the Lord Jesus. And he has reminded them of both the ascent of Christ to heaven, but also of that, um, that preliminary descent of Jesus into the very uh, place of the dead, into the grave. And he has noted that that has massive implications on the life of the church and the unity of the church. Because the Apostle Paul understood that the only foundation that any so-called church has, the only foundation that denominates a church, a true church, is the Lord Jesus. He will say in 1 Corinthians 3, no other foundation can be laid than that which is laid, which is Christ. Um, Now, we would all give assent to that, and yet a cursory consideration of the pulpit ministries of many ministers who at the beginning of their ministry began by saying, I determined to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified does not show in their ministries in their later years. Many, many individuals get sidetracked by any number of things, even good things, and put them in the place of Christ. And ultimately, the church suffers for that. The church will suffer for that because only the Lord Jesus, who is the foundation, who is the head, who is the Lord of the church, who is the savior of the church, of whose, uh, the, the church uh, is his body. It is his very body. And Paul is picking up on that unity between Christ and the people, the union that you have with the Lord Jesus. And notice that in verse 7, he wants us to understand that Christ is always doing things to benefit his church, to bless his church, to build his church. He is the keeper of his church. He is caring for his church. Now, I often take great comfort in uh, the fact that the Lord Jesus cares more about my sanctification than I do. And you all should take great comfort in the fact that he cares more about the well-being of this church than you do. And he knows just what his church needs, and he measures it out in perfect wisdom, and he does it in just the right way, at just the right time, and he does it, and he does it because the church is his blood-bought people. The Lord Jesus cares deeply about the well-being of those that he has purchased with his blood at the cross. If he would shed his blood to redeem us from sin and Satan and death, we can be confident that he'll do anything else to keep us and to care for us because the church is his body. And the Lord Jesus loves his church, his bride, um, his blood-bought people. Well, I want us to really focus this morning, though, on what Paul is doing here. He's not just saying that Christ is the head of the church. He's not just reminding the people of what Christ has done. He is telling them that Christ has given his church particular gifts to build the church up and to bless the church, to establish the church, and to cause it to grow in a healthy and spiritually right way. And notice what the apostle says. He says in verse 7, grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And then notice verse 11, and he gave 
And then there is a catalog of gifts. Now, what's interesting, if you were to ask most Christians, what are the gifts that Christ gives to the church? Many people would start to lift off, list off those gifts in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, what we, we call the spiritual gifts, many of which were the extraordinary gifts of the apostolic age. Some might say, well, the gifts are those ordinary gifts, love and joy and peace, the fruit of the Spirit, the Beatitudes, those common gifts that he gives to all of his people. But here the apostle does something very interesting in in what is the only catalog of gifts that Paul gives in an epistle that is focused not on those particular graces that the Lord Jesus gives every member, but on certain individuals that he has given as gifts to his church. Notice Paul is focusing us in, and here it says he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. You know, I have long thought that we, we often don't think of ministers of the gospel as gifts. That's why so many churches mistreat their pastors. That's why pastoral burnout is such a real thing. It's why so many ministers are discouraged in the ministry. I'll tell you a story. There was a man named William Greenham. He was one of the foremost Puritan ministers. And he had a very small ministry in a town called Drayton in England. And um, very few people. He was renowned among the Puritans. Most of the Puritan ministers would, would send their really difficult cases to William Greenham. He was sort of an apothecary of souls. And... Uh, as history recounts, Greenham was very discouraged because the only fruit he ever saw was the fruit of other people's ministry being brought to him. And at the end of his life, he, he said that he felt as though the only, the only blessing God had blessed him with in ministry there in Drayton was one cantankerous old man who was a continual thorn in his side. And William Greenham died, and that was his ministry. And the next minister came in, and that minister saw enormous growth in that congregation. And people started asking him, what's the secret to the ministry? How is it that you're seeing all this growth? And, and, and that minister said, oh, it's nothing I've done. It's all the fruit of what William Greenham did. But he didn't live to see that. He saw the hardships and the difficulties. Jonathan Edwards, you may know this, was driven out of his congregation for one mistake. There were some children in the church who were doing some things they shouldn't have been doing. Edwards summoned all the children of the church, those that told on them and those that were practicing. This became known as the Black Book Affair. And because the parents of those children that hadn't done it were brought forward, they drove Edwards out of the church. One mistake. They had stopped seeing him as a gift. John Calvin, who I've already mentioned, the, great, <laughs> the greatest reformer, driven out of the church. Because when people stop seeing ministers as the gift of Christ, they fail to understand the greatness of that gift. You know, I was thinking about this when I was a boy on Christmas morning. I would tear into all the presents, and in 1984, my parents gave me a die-cast transformer. It was like the greatest Christmas present I ever got. It was broken within like three weeks, probably. And then, and then the next present I opened were socks and and undershirts. And I remember my heart sinking as a boy. I didn't want socks. I didn't want undershirts. As I've gotten older, 
I want socks. I want utilitarian gifts. I don't want transformers. I've come to value the gifts I didn't once value. Paul is trying to help us understand in this passage that Jesus has chosen the best gifts for his people. And the Lord Jesus has so perfectly prepared those gifts that he pours them out on his church by giving the church faithful gospel ministries. Now, ministers. Now, notice, notice what Paul says. He, he sets this up in verse 8 by quoting a verse out of Psalm 68. It's a psalm about God's victory over the Egyptians and leading Israel out and bringing them to the foot of the mountain. Moses, remember, ascends up on the mountain. God comes down in great glory and terror. The Lord reveals himself to Moses and, and he is seen to be God the king over his people, the victorious, conquering, redeeming king. And in Psalm 68, the verse that Paul quotes in, in that psalm, it says, when he ascended on high, he led it captivity captive, he received gifts from men. He received gifts from men, and, and, and it's saying he received the spoils of the war. He, he received his people as gifts. But here, the apostle does something. He pushes that verse through redemptive history, and he changes one word there at the end. He says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now, theologians have wrestled with that. How is it that Paul is giving us the right sense of that verse from Psalm 68? Well, Paul understands that from that great company of the redeemed, of which you are a part, if you are redeemed by the Lord Jesus, he has, he has won you as the spoils of war. And out of that great, massive company of the redeemed, he has said, I'm going to take this one, and this one, and this one, and this one, and I'm going to give them back to my people as a gift. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. From the, from the redemption that the Lord Jesus wrought, he takes out of his people and he gives back from them to his church to be a blessing to his church. Now, Tommy wouldn't want me to say this, but Tommy is Jesus's gift to you. Just put a bow on him. He is, he is a gift from the Lord Jesus. The crucified and ascended Christ decided in the councils of eternity he was going to gift Tommy Myrick to this church to pastor you and to be a blessing to you. Now, just like I said, oftentimes we get tired of gifts. You know, um, I have a friend who is now a seminary professor and after 10 years of ministry in a PCA church, he said to me once, he said, Nick, I, when I came in, I felt like I was a new piece of furniture. Everybody gets excited about new furniture. And then he said, when I left, I felt like the old piece of furniture that people just wanted to replace. Don't, don't, don't let this gift become that for you. The Lord Jesus, in his infinite wisdom, decides who he's going to give to what people, and he has decided to give you Tommy Marek, as a gift to you. 
Now, notice that Paul is moving steadily. He is moving steadily on, and he has not just talked about Christ being the foundation of the church and the work of Christ being the most essential thing for the health and the life of the church. He has not only talked about the gifts that Christ gives the church, but now in a protracted way, he's going to talk about the goal of the gifts. What what is the goal that the Lord Jesus is seeking to accomplish by gifting his church with, with faith? gifted and godly ministers. Well, notice that Paul says they are moving on in verse 12 to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the edifying of the body. So Tommy's job, every minister's job is to pour themselves out to equip the saints. And there are many well-meaning Christians who will say things like this. I've heard ministers say this. It's my My job is to work myself out of a job. No. I would refute that, and I would argue with you about that. Um, The minister of the gospel, until Christ comes again, will always have more to do to help equip the saints for the work of ministry. Because his job is to pour God's word into you and pour God's word into you and pour God's word into you and pour God's word into you so that your gifts and graces are understood, embraced, developed, and utilized. And he continues to do that until Christ comes again. Notice what Paul says here. Notice this. He says to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That means that, that the gifts of Christ, the ministers that Jesus has gifted the church— as they minister God's word, they are watching the Lord shape and form his people and knit their hearts together and build them up and gird them up and when they fall to restore them and to build them up and to prod them on and to encourage them to be what Christ wants them to be until the church starts to look like the Lord Jesus. That's that's the ultimate goal. Until we come to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I love, I love the way Sinclair Ferguson puts this. Listen to this. It's through the ministry of the word that the Lord is most pleased to chip the edges of my warped personality, to make me more like Jesus, and to do that in all other believers in order that like a master mason, he may slide us together with all of our differences. Now, there's no other society on earth where you can have people from so many different socioeconomic, cultural, ethnic, every kind of difference. And yet, the Lord Jesus is, is knitting us together, sliding us together to be a holy dwelling place and to bear his image. And to bear his image. Now, I think this is why John Calvin preached three times every Sunday and once every weekday because he understood that there's always more, there's always more that the people of God need. Um, I have been in churches where I have gotten the sense that the people think they don't need any more of the ministry of the word. That is a very, very 
very sad place to be. There will never be a time in this life until Christ comes again that we do not need the operations of the gifts of Christ in pouring out the ministry of the word into the minds and the hearts of the people of God. Now, how do I prove that? How do we know that? Well, Paul has not only mentioned that we are to come to the knowledge of the Son of God, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. He mentions that there are two dangers that the church is always fraught with. There are two things that those gifts that Christ has given to the church are to minister the word of God in order to address among the people of God because there are always two dangers that every single congregation and every Christian faces. The first is immaturity. Notice what Paul says there. He says in verse 13, until we attain to the unity of the faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood. The apostle understood that spiritual immaturity is always a threat to the members of Christ's church. And so those men that the Lord Jesus has called to minister his word are to minister in such a way as to bring the whole body to a place of spiritual maturity. Um, Eric Alexander said this, and it's so apropos. He said, the reason why so many within the evangelical church these days are so easily seduced by some false teaching is that we have been undernourished in the truth of God's word. I wholeheartedly believe that. Uh, You know, 2020 was a crazy year that I never want to relive. And if we learned anything in 2020, it's that if you lock everybody down and give them a computer, they will believe all kinds of crazy things. Seriously. And if you give them money, they'll go protest. It... It was a crazy year. We are ever in danger of being undernourished by the word of God and therefore being led astray and therefore not growing up into maturity. And so that that danger of immaturity, Paul says, is addressed by Christ through those gifts that he gives to the church, those shepherds that he gives. And then the second is instability. Notice this, he says in verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Paul understood that the people of God are are fragile, as it were, that they're easily led in every direction unless they are moored in the word of God. Um. You know, I don't know how long a ministry Tommy will have here among you. I hope it'll be a very long ministry. But I know that you're getting a man that is going to pour God's word into you, that's going to preach the gospel to you, that's going to encourage you when you need to be encouraged, that's going to say the hard things when you need to hear the hard things. And in all his ministry, his end goal has to be that the image of Christ is formed in this congregation. So that when men and women out there who don't know the Lord Jesus and who have rejected the message of the gospel come in here, they would see something of Christ in the people. They would see something of the fullness of Christ over the whole congregation and they would be drawn to him. And as that's happening, the members of the church are building each other 
each other up in love and speaking the truth in love to one another so that there's this symbiotic relationship between the minister and the people and the means of the word going out and God sending it down on the people that even when we don't perceive it, and so often it is imperceptible until it starts to be seen and the image of Christ starts to appear among the congregants of the church. I have had the privilege of pastoring uh, several congregations in the PCA and um, very much love the congregation that I pastor now in Charleston, South Carolina. When I came in, that church was um, hurting. It, it had really diminished through uh, COVID and 2020 and all the things that happened. And, and it was a really sweet group of people who just longed to be led and shepherded and cared for. And I've been there two years, and when I come in on the Lord's Day and I see the people loving each other, and I see them joyful, and I see spiritual life and uh, vitality and vibrance in the congregation, I realize that it's because God has blessed the ministry of his word and only the ministry of his word. And that something of the image of Christ is ever increasing among the people. Now, I want that for the congregation I pastor. I know that Tommy wants that for you. And I want to encourage you this morning as you receive him as Christ's gift to you. Number one, don't despise the gift of the Lord Jesus. I mean, there is one person you do not want to frown on a gift from, and that is Jesus Christ. Love your pastor, care for him, welcome him. When the honeymoon's over, keep loving him. Keep caring for him. Open your hearts to him. Open your homes to him. When you think he's downcast, encourage him. He needs that. He's going to do that for you, and he's going to need you to do that for him. And then I want to encourage you to receive the word from him. And there may be times that you don't want to hear what he tells you out of God's word. And it's at that time, and especially at those times, that we need the ministry of the word. Now, the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy said, times are going to come when men don't want to hear the word. They're going to heap up teachers for themselves because of itching ears and they're going to turn from the truth. And then Paul says to Timothy, he says, preach the word. What is the remedy? Sinclair Ferguson always says this. What is the remedy when people do not want to hear the ministry of the word? It's the preaching of the word. And so at those times when Tommy is ministering God's word to you, and you may not want to hear it, recall what you're hearing this morning and say, I need I need the ministry of Christ through the gift that he's given me, pouring God's word into me, even and especially when I don't want that. And then third, I want to encourage you this morning that you all would be praying that this congregation would more and more bear the image and the likeness of the Lord Jesus collectively as members of his body. You know, Tommy's going to have a fruitful pulpit ministry, I believe, in this church, and we'll probably see growth because of that, numeric growth. 
but that spiritual growing up into the measure of the fullness of Christ has got to be the burden of the pastor and the members of every truly Christian church. And my hope is that it will be your burden and your desire in this church as you start receiving Christ's gift to you uh, that he is giving you in this man that he has called to minister to you. Let him who has ears to hear, let him hear this morning what the Spirit says to the church. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we thank you and praise you for your great wisdom. First, in giving us the Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you left the glories of heaven, that you descended, that you hung on the cross for our sin, that you took the judgment and the wrath that we deserve. We thank you that you have also ascended to the highest place in heaven, that you have all authority and power, and that out of your fullness and from your glorious majesty, you have given gifts to your church. We thank you and praise you for the gift that you are giving this congregation today. We do pray, our God, that these things that we have heard would be true. We pray that your hand would be upon Tommy Myrick. We pray that he would have a long and fruitful ministry of the word among your people. We pray for every member of this church, our God, that you would be at work in them, making them to receive this gift from you and making them to receive the ministry of the word and the goal of you pouring your word out into them. We pray that this church would more and more bear the likeness of the Lord Jesus, grow up into him, and mature in him. We pray that you would establish this church and keep it, bless it, and use it, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.